This is You'll Die Trying with Nathan Morris. You'll Die Trying contains sensitive subject matter and conversations surrounding death and dying and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is respectfully advised. Oh, hey. Glad to see you all again. Let me guess, uh, you're driving. No, you're working one AirPod in, one AirPod out. Like a beast. Anyway, it might be a variation. Regardless, though, thank you for taking the time to join me. Truly, in this world, longing for honesty and real, I am truly working to always be that for you, for myself. This is Season 2, Episode 118, a show devoted to pulling back the curtain, taking down the walls, brick by brick, and exposing the hearts of those who spend their entire lives taking care of and serving you and yours, those you love most. This is You'll Die Trying. I've had a lot of people asking about Big Turkey Foot. Nathan, you talk about it in every episode. Absolutely, I do. Ian, Kelsey, Doc, Hadley, those are the hearts behind the beans and the muscles. Have you seen them? I mean, they're ripped. I mean, they're incredible. They're like climbing cactuses and jumping off mountains, but they're incredible people too. Head over right this second to youldietrying.com. Visit the store, grab a delicious bag of the coffee that I am enjoying each and every episode. And might I make a suggestion, the Rough River Blend? It's from Honduras. It is from a direct trade family-owned farm, actually female-owned farm. It's roasted to a medium roast, which I actually really like. It brings out the notes, includes a hint of chocolate, maple aroma, and a sweetness reminiscent of green apple. It's also certified organic, and it's from the direct trade program, which allows farmers to receive higher sustainable wages for their crops and to continue operations and improve practices. To support local, head over to youldietrying.com. Grab some big turkey foot coffee. Support female farms. You haven't heard of it until now, I'm sure, but you have. The longest trek that I recall working is eight weeks straight. Disastrous for one's mental health, I absolutely assure you. I used to look forward to my nights off. Off call, yes, but also my weekends off, period. The phone not ringing. That would be amazing. Well, it actually never happens in this profession. You always have what I call bleed over. And it may not be the best title, but... It's when your team on the opposite schedule takes a funeral that you have scheduled and planned for. I mean, you've taken like AP format notes on this. Uh, No matter how thorough though, there is literally always a question. Your phone is your chain, your ball and chain. And it's not because we can't not be with it because developers have designed things and apps to make us that way. But in funeral care, it's our line of care. We just want to be there and to help. And that in and of itself creates addiction. Yes, my name is Nathan Morris, and I am addicted to the funeral home. This is literally the only profession that I can think of in which we complain when we're not busy, and then we complain when we're busy. Yes, like we complain when the phone isn't ringing. I mean, people don't need us all the time, right? Bluntly put, no one is dying 
every single moment in our community. We've literally have scrubbed every fathomable inch of the funeral home's chair rails, and we're sick of stepping off stage to smoke again. It's awful. And then the phone rings and rings and rings. You're getting back from one transfer just to prepare the cot to go to another. Yes, cue the fiddle. I mean, we hear people say, I wish we could catch our breath. It is literally the most absurd realization ever. I mean, you can't track it. You can't track death. I mean, we can pull census tracks. We can study deaths by zip codes and traffic patterns and age and demographics and populations. I mean, I have literally printed at the suggestion of a mentor, a map to put pens in, but it's all figured on averages. It's incapable of being tracked, you know, God, God and all. So when I hear it'd be nice to just have one funeral a day, eesh, feast or famine, all or nothing, those in this profession, owners specifically get it and are actually some of the toughest and, you know, bravest people to stick with this digging the hills in when the mortgage is calling and the staff payroll is up and Batesville has just sent another $15,000 invoice. I mean, somehow, some way though, it's always worked out for them and they just don't waver. There are literally so many deaths each month in this area and none we can control. So all we can do is continue showing up donating cups and napkins, blasting funeral home names, running half-page ads and church bulletins and obituary sections and newspapers and yellow page ads. Yep. I don't even think you know what that is, but most funeral homes still do this. Is it right? Wrong? Not for me to really say. My brief stint in sales, someone once did say, if they feel they got a good deal, then they got a good deal. So if owners think that's what works, then it works. Anyway, we can't control it. So back to death. When it's happening rapidly and families are calling on your home, you literally specifically over time, this sense of need and have to develop. You have to be there from the beginning to the end. Flying to Florida with the kids? Not anymore. Celebrating an anniversary? Nope. Opening Christmas presents? No, that's... that's no, that'll wait. Endearing, right? I mean, it's a blessing and a curse. I mean, it's this constant need to not let people down. That need of needing to feel needed keeps you volunteering to come in on your weekends off to cover for someone, even when there's already coverage. Taking call nine nights straight, saying that fast, nine nights straight. Let's face it, it might be the chaos that director's love. Eight weeks, eight weeks straight. We're so busy. They need my help. They asked me. I went on the call. They asked, are you going to be there during arrangements? And I, of course, said yes. The funeral homes during this time, we only had two, were slammed. We had a schedule and competent team, but I believed I needed to be there. My teammate could have led a beautiful service, absolutely, but not as good as me, right? 
or wrong. Week eight, last day, I'm absolutely gassed. I get in my SUV to drive the longest way I could possibly think of to get home after being absolutely annihilated by death and grief. I actually had this epiphany. I'm the leader now. I've implemented some communication tools to help streamline things. Morale is high. Staff are absolutely more competent than ever. And I'm here inserting myself because I'm quote unquote needed. How not true. The family called Morris family, not me, Nathan, on my cell phone. I was disrespectful toward my wife and my kids, my team even for showing them that I essentially did not believe in them when my words would say otherwise at morning meetings, you know, the whole actions speak louder than words thing. Never again, I stopped. I created the delicate handoff, which we actually utilize daily and train staff of its importance. Sat with the family for arrangements, scheduled to be off at 4.30 the day of their first view. It's okay. This is what we now implement. Hey, Jane, this is Christine. She and I work very closely together, and she is honored to stand door this evening and be available to you and the family. Tomorrow morning when you arrive, I'll be watching door to see you and yours in. Before you leave tonight, Christine will actually make sure and certain that all has been comfortable and show you to your vehicles and actually where to park in the morning. It's that easy, the delicate handoff. Have you ever known anyone and you get invited, you know, to those you and plus one get together, your plus one friend that you invite, they don't know this group whatsoever, right? So you and the plus one walk in and say, hey, you say meet plus one. She's amazing. We've been friends for eight years. You're going to absolutely love her. And guess what? They do. They love and welcome plus one because you permitted them to. Psychology, really, you know. There are instances that are unique. Yes. I don't want any ugly emails sent to hello at you'll or DMs with circumstances that a delicate handoff would not suffice. I totally get it. I've heard it pinned as passing them off, which sounds so negative. I personally feel the ways in which we are serving are shifting, however. Families who own the homes and live in the homes, literally upstairs, were expected always. It's what was then. You know, funeral director Bill is out front mowing the lawn and Sue pulls up in her car and says, Sam died. You know, those scenarios were real. So the kids, the aunts, the uncles, everyone was involved always, always. And now though, families are living off premises. I mean, entrusting or trying to trust in the support staff to help in helping I continue to be a part of every celebration, yes, but my team are the heroes. They're the ones that have devoted their lives to you, as have I, but now I shift my hopeless devotion to them so they feel they can thrive and then trust in their partners to recover for them when their tanks are on E. Go to the baseball game. Go out of town, go see your sister, stop feeling bad for it. 
And lastly, when a family you sit with during arrangements asks, will you be there? And this is the family that you had to sit with because there are two other simultaneous arrangements happening and that weekend's coverage or opposite schedule is assisting both of them. So you have to insert yourself and pivot. If you followed that, the answer is simple. I will personally see to it our family provides an absolutely lovely and meaningful service for mom. And every request that you make today, I will place on this paper and we'll make sure that Tommy, who will be with you, will see to it that everything requested will be carried out. Don't say, I'm off or no, I'll be at Keeneland. I mean, you can, but that's absolutely stupid and absurd. Maybe you've burned yourself out to the point of an aha moment, or maybe you were too exhausted to see the yellow lines on the road, let alone think on your drive home. But maybe this can be your silver lining. You are an incredible director, yes, but so is your teammate. Trust them. That's when magical things happen. It's not just mental clarity and self-induced breakdown prevention. If you followed anything in this episode, I hope that it just lets you realize that you can trust people. You can believe in and know that they're gonna have your back. And the people that are being trusted have our backs. It's pretty amazing that eight weeks of self-sabotage were totally preventable. Hell, it makes for a really good podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you at the next one.